Dear Lord, thank you for your love and the word you've given us through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Please give us the ears to hear and understand the parable and have your word spoken this morning. Amen. Well, this is the second class in this summer series on the parables. Um, and uh, I'm Ron Flowers. Um, Gil and Michael Sansbury and I have split up the parables, and we're going to be doing one pretty much every Sunday throughout the summer. Um, and, and so it, it should be, Gil started us off last week with an introduction, and it, it was a very good introduction, talked about um, how we, a lot of times culture, and we, we see things, parables like Aesop, that they're just stories that have a moral at the end, um, that they tell us to be good, don't be like the... Um, hair, be like the tortoise, but that's not what parables are. There, there's a much deeper meaning to that, um, and, and that wasn't what they were intended to be. They're stories that describe the kingdom um, to people who had no way of understanding what it was, and we're going to talk about that more in a minute. Um, but the Good Samaritan, and, and there's a handout, and that's just got some Bible, Bible verses on it, um, that, that I was thinking about while preparing for the series, and don't wonder about why some have verses marked and others don't. There's really nothing behind that. But um, the Good Samaritan, of course, is one of the most famous parables, and Gil touched on it some last week. Um, and people who don't know anything about Christianity know about the Good Samaritan, and it's it kind of it's taken on a new meaning through our culture. Um, I would say that along with perhaps the Sermon on the Mount, um, the prodigal son to some extent, non-Christians, when they think of Jesus and the, the idea that Jesus is a good teacher, um, he, that he's not the Lord, that he wasn't rex- resurrected, but he, he had a good message, he had a good teacher. People read the Good Samaritan and they think, well, it's good to be like a Good Samaritan, to help those in need. And you know, priests and, and religious leaders... <laughs> You know, they can damage things, and, and they, they, they make things worse, and they leave away from Christ, who had a good teaching. Um, but what I hope we come here out of today is that that's not what the Good and Samaritan was intended for. Um, and, and it's a very, actually a very powerful parable. Um, and I, th- I thought we'd just go ahead and, and read it, and then we'll get into it. Um, it's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? 
He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So today I want everybody to go out and, and find somebody on the road and, and take them to it, put them in their car, take them to the hotel, and, and, and that's the end of the, the, the message today. But no, um, Rod Rosenblatt said that 98% of the, the teaching on the Good Samaritan is just that it's kind of a moral parable. Be like the Good Samaritan. And I've got a couple of clips that I'm going to show you in a second um, just to show the typical preaching you might see on the Good Samaritan. Um, but, but like I said earlier, if you, if you look on the Internet and just run some searches for what you see for the Good Samaritan, you see Good Samaritan hospitals, you see Good Samaritan um, clinics, Good Samaritan churches, there are even Good Samaritan laws. I don't know if you, knew, you all saw the last, the finale of Seinfeld. I'm sure you did. Um, but it involves them going to jail because they didn't act on, uh, in pursuant to the Good Samaritan law and help someone who is being attacked. Um, and there are actually, in some communities, Good Samaritan laws, um, which kind of takes the parable and, and the interpretation of the law to its logical conclusion. Um, it, so the Good Samaritan has kind of lost its meaning in the culture. It's, it's, Gil mentioned Pharisee last week. We hear Pharisee and we think self-righteous. We think someone um, you know, who, who just thinks of themselves. But actually, back in um, biblical times, Pharisees were people who went to church. Pharisees were people who were seen to be good in the community. And, and people didn't see them as self-righteous. But just in today's verbiage, that's how it's become. The same with Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan's not someone who goes, it doesn't have to be, in, in today's speak, someone who picks someone off the side of the road, goes out of their way, puts them in the car, takes them to an inn, spends the night with them and takes care of them, pays for their stay, two denarii, which is two, about the equivalent of two days pay or more, um, and then says that he's going to provide for him until he comes back. So basically... In the story, the Good Samaritan has taken care of this person indefinitely. But if you, there are lots of videos on the internet, and I thought about showing some that I didn't, of like Good Samaritan saves baby bob, Bobcat, or Good Samaritan, you know, helps out lost boy. Um, the worst one was from a foreign country, and it had a video of a Good Samaritan, and it says Good. And I think the title of it was Good Samaritan helps naked child, and so it showed the naked child and. And the person went over and he put his coat on the naked child, but the, the, there's no pants on. So he puts the coat on and leaves, and so he helped him in that way. But it's not very analogous to the Good Samaritan when the child still has um, a naked bottom running around. Um, but, I mean, those are all good things. And I, I certainly, um, I mean, any, any time someone goes out of their way and their helps in a civic sense, that, that's, that's a wonderful thing and should be applauded. Um, but it's not the Christian message. Um, and, and so, and, and it's very important. And it's why, um, and, and that people, even Christians, see the point of Christianity is to strive to be like the Good Samaritan. Um, and if the, 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 the more you can do good, the more you can act like the Good Samaritan, the more that you're living out Christianity. And so now we'll get into these two clips. And I, I don't know anything about these preachers. Um, I just saw them and, and picked out. I didn't even listen to the whole sermon. So 
it's not to pick on particular people or denominations, but it, it's very important the message that gets across from especially as well-known parables as these. It must have turned off. Let me pause it. on earlier. I don't know what... Okay. Sorry about this. I might skip the first one if, since this is not doing so well. It was. Okay. Okay, there it is. Let's see. It's not working. But he sees a man lying in a ditch. You don't hear that? And what he does is he does absolutely nothing. Perhaps he sees a man over there bleeding. He thinks to himself, you know, that man has trouble, but you know, I don't have time to get involved. I've got an important meeting down the road. I bought this big expensive suit. I might get blood on it. I mean, this man is in I know y'all wanted to keep on listening to that. Do y'all know how to get out of? Okay, there we go. Okay, and um, I mean that's just anytime you're you're talking about a parable, and it's you need to be like more like me and not like these other people. That's probably missing the point of the parable. Um, but often the good Samaritan is well, I was. You know, I was walking down the street, and I saw somebody, and I walked by them, and then I remembered the Good Samaritan, and I went and helped them. Um, and here is just one more, and then we'll move on. This one's more. That we are stopping. 
Okay. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the, the second preacher, I mean, he, he seemed like a nice guy, and he had a good, I mean, a well-meaning message. Um, but Christianity is not all about um, trying to serve others. Um, certainly that is something that comes out of Christianity, but if we reduce the message to that's what Christianity is all about, then we've lost Christianity. And his analogy, I'm not sure what book or what others talked about the analogy, but um, it, I think that the other religions would argue with that that's what they would do. And plus, um, how does that make Christianity any different than what the Red Cross would do? Or what atheists would do, like Christopher Hitchens, he his doctrine would be to go down and help the person get out. Um, so it doesn't make Christianity any different than just a doctrine to be good, which is good, but there's no reason, as Gil said last week, we don't need to be here if that's all that Christianity comes to. Um, so both kind of this message and you know, the message of the lawyer who who spoke, as we'll talk about at the beginning of the parable. Um, comes from, I would say, a misunderstanding of what the law is. Um, the lawyer was an expert on the law, um, is what it's, I mean, some translations say expert on the law rather than the lawyer. So he knew the Old Testament. He knew, every, I mean, could probably memorize, I mean, could probably recite a lot of it, um, as did the Pharisees, the priests, and the Levites. But, um, he, as, as it showed, that he missed the point of the Old Testament. His question, it's very important how the question leads into um, this parable. The first question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, so Jesus, in answering the question, knows um, that this person is a lawyer. He knows that he knows the law, and he's asking what he should do. Um, so Jesus... He, and he knows that he's probably trying to test him to see what the answer is. Is it in conformance with what the law is? Jesus turns the table to him and has him answer. Um, and he repeats what, what's stated um, in Deuteronomy and Le- Leviticus. You shall love the go- God, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Um, which it, Jesus says, according to the law, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Now, does anybody, can anybody think of a similar exchange um, in Luke and in the other synoptics? The rich young ruler? Yeah. Um, and that's on your, your, your handout. But um, and it, it's similar in that the next question is, he doesn't accept, well, Jesus and he had me recite what the law was, and I gave the answer as to what you should do to inherit eternal life. Um, but then he goes and, and asks, well, who is my neighbor? Um, so Jesus sees what he's doing here. Um, he's, the, the question, and Jesus can't answer the question. He's, he's doing what lawyers do. Um, speaking is one. Um, he sees that love your neighbor as yourself, love your God with all your strength, your heart and mind. Well, how can I justify myself, as it says in Luke, um, to show that I'm doing that. So he starts kind of putting a box around what the law is. What does it mean to love your neighbor? By asking that question, he's missed the point. Um, and is, that's where Jesus goes with the parable. But as, as a lawyer, he's trying to make a case. He's trying to plead his case, in this case, for himself, not for his client. Um, he knows the Old Testament. He knows that if, if as other Jews did at the time, if I can say, well, 
the uh, my neighbor is the my fellow Jews, or even a, my, my family, then I can is is um, is was what the the thinking was at the time. Then I, I can meet that um, because the what he thought to meet the law is that it's all external, um, and if he can do the external. <clears throat> meet the external requirements of the law and treat his neighbors according to the law, well, then he satisfied the law. Um, so with something like do not commit murder, well, then that leads to, well, with the Ten Commandments, you think do not commit murder, well, what about self-defense? And so that's kind of similar to what he's doing here. Or do not commit adultery, well, what if you know, my, um, my spouse can't have marital relations? It's, it's, he's, he's trying to create a case that the law is not absolute um, and to justify what his interpretation of the law is so that he can be shown as fulfilling it and therefore under his interpretation get eternal life. Um, but as with the rich young ruler, just in the question, he's assumed several things incorrectly. He's assumed that he first fulfilled the first table of the law because under the law, the first table is love your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. The second table is love your neighbor as yourself. But by jumping to who is my neighbor, he's assuming he's met the first table of loving his God with all the strength and uh, with all his heart, mind, strength. Um, and then with the neighbor, he's assumed that he's loved anybody as himself. So not only, I mean, he's he's missed both points and. In the, in the response to the rich young ruler, he, uh, Jesus goes more at um, the first table. But here, Jesus this attacks, I mean, not, I wouldn't say attacks, but that's a bad word, but uses a parable to explain what the second table of the law means. Um, and why would he use a parable? Why wouldn't he just say, um, to, to love your neighbor means to give your life for them, and your neighbor is anyone, is everyone. Um, there's no limitation to what neighbor is. Now, he, he, the, the lawyer may have been trying to trick him to get him to give an answer, which was um, not in conformance with the Jewish authorities. So by telling the parable, um, the parable is a much more kind of, way to include him in the story. Um, a lot of times just telling someone it's easy to reject if it's something, and, and you naturally reject someone who's telling you something that you don't agree with. Um, but by telling the parable in the way he does, it involves him in the story, and he has to see himself as one of the characters. And he, it provokes the response at the end that it necessarily had to. Um, Gil talked about last week this book, King, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment by Robert Capon. Um, there's actually three books combined into one, um, and it's very good, um, and all of us in, in doing the class will be referring to it at some points. But Capon said about parables, the mystery of the kingdom, it seems, is a radical mystery. Even when you tell people about it in so many words, it remains permanently intractable in all, to all their attempts to make sense of it. The device of parabolic utterance is not used is used not to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. In resorting so often to parables, his main point was that any understanding of the kingdom his hearers could come up with would be a misunderstanding. So he's doing in doing this, he's he's involved the lawyer in the story, and he's 
by the end of the parable, he's come to a conclusion that maybe that would probably give him the second guess what he was thinking before. But just going to the parable and and um, starting off with it is the man's going down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a descent of I think more than three thousand feet. And from what I understand, it's also it's a road that's still in existence. But it, it was a dangerous road back then. It's a dangerous road today, and that there were often robbers who, um, as described in the story, who would you know, maraud people on the way down the road. Jericho was a place where a lot of priests live and Jewish leaders lived who um, would teach at the temple and or would preach at the temple in Jerusalem or accept sacrifices and then they would travel back to Jericho. Um, and <clears throat> so the it, it talks about the robber, the man who fell among robbers and he's left half dead. Um, it doesn't say who he was, whether he was Jewish or not, or, or not Jewish, whether he was from, um, it, it just doesn't give any telling of what his ethnicity is, and I, I think that's important. Then he has a priest and, and a Levite pass by. I mean, these are seen as the most religious, the best followers of the law at that time, um, and you know the the thought is I think. Uh, our natural inclination was, well, they just didn't want to get involved. But actually, the priest, there, there was a law against handling dead bodies. Uh, and so he would be unclean for a period of time if he had actually gone, if the person had been dead and he'd gone and handled them. And if he was half dead, he may not have been able to know that just from seeing him on the side of the road. The same with the Levite. The Levites were the second in command. They were not descended from... Um, Aaron, so they could not be priests, but they were kind of the second rank in the um, Jewish temple. Um, then, I mean, I, I would say to, to the Jews at the time, the fact that he chose a Samaritan to come and aid the man is kind of the most, the hardest to take, the most audacious um, to go with the title of the class. But Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. Um, I read something where um, in their temple services, the Jews would ask that Samaritans be excluded from um, eternal life. They, and a few years before Jesus was born, the Samaritans raided, um, desecrated the temple, scattered bones all over the courts of the temple so that there couldn't be Passover. Um, so Samaritans created anger with um, with the Jewish people, and just hearing that he mentioned the Samaritan um, would kind of make their blood boil at that at that point in time. Um, but by using, I mean, the, the Samaritan, the use of the Samaritan is very powerful in a sense, and that Jesus is extending the law beyond where it had ever been ex been before. Your neighbors are not just your people who you're close to; they're not just your relatives; they're not your fellow Jews. It's everyone. Um, it's your bitter enemies. Um, the person that you, um, that the, the second table of the law, love your neighbor as yourself, is the person that m you're most, um, uh, that, that you see as the most evil or that, you're, that um, is your bitterest enemy. Um, and that command calls for you to love those people, um, which, as we'll talk about in a minute, is impossible. Um, for us to engender love ourselves, to love your enemies, that's, 
I mean, he's taking it to the furthest, ground, the furthest extreme, as the parables often do. Um, he's not saying, well, there was an evil man um, who came and helped him. He's, he's taking a Samaritan who the Jews hated and saying with the parable that that was someone they had to love. <clears throat> and the Samaritan, it, with all the, with the, the use of the good Samaritan today is anyone who does a good thing that's somewhat out of their way. Um, the good Samaritan, as I mentioned before, I mean, he supposedly he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He stops, takes him out of his day, um, just changes his whole course of his day, the course of his whole week, takes this person to an inn, spends a lot of money on him, takes care of him through the night. I mean, basically he gives his life for the, the person who's um, fell among thieves. So at the end of the parable, um, Jesus doesn't ask, well, who is the neighbor? Um, because like we talked about before, that's an improper question. Um, by asking um, at the end, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man? I mean, there's only one response that he could make. And he's reluctant to make it in that he doesn't even, um, he doesn't even use the name of the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, because um, he couldn't bear to, um, he couldn't bear to say the name as the Samaritan was the one um, who proved to be the neighbor. Um, why did he say you go and do likewise? Um, that leads to an easy reading of the parable that that's what we're supposed to do is to go and do likewise. Um, and that's how people read it. That's how the sermons we talked about saw it. Um, and But what this does, in, in fact, through the parable, is it's reframed the law from him for him. It's shown him that his view, I mean, to the extent he accepts this, of the law is incorrect. That it's not you adhere to the rigid religious principles that made up the law, uh, the Jewish law at the time, such as don't go near a corpse, you'll, you'll be unclean. Um, it's that you show mercy to others. And others, we mean anyone. Your enemies, Samaritans, anyone you see just on the side of the road. And mercy means to give your life for that person. So if you're seeking to justify yourself through the law, that's what you have to do. Um, so by putting it that way, that's, he's making it what the law is intended to do. Um, so I, I guess the first way I would see the Good Samaritan is it's kind of a narrative depiction of the second table of the law. Um, if you're going to try to justify yourself through the law, this is what you need to do with anyone that you come in contact with on the street. The street, um, And it's an absolute law. He can't make his case around it like he tried to do. Um, the, he's never going, because of the indefiniteness at the end, he's never going to be able to do what the Good Samaritan does and then do it again if he runs into another person like that. Um, it, it extends sins from what we do is the way they saw it at the time, like the external things versus things we don't do. Um, so anything you fail to do is also a sin. And as in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes that further with even thoughts. And so the law is not meant to make us be like good Samaritans. It's meant, um, <coughs> it's meant to, sh to show that we to, to drive us to try to do that, to, the, to us to realize that we can't 
perform um, what the law says. Um, if the law could could engender what it, what its its aim, then the I mean the whole story of the Old Testament is that the the law was given to the people and they didn't do what it what it said. Um, so trying to make people good Samaritans does not make them good Samaritans. Um, and I think when Gil said uh, the name of these summer series is, series is the audacity and contrition and grace. And so he, when he first mentioned that, I wasn't sure what it means. And just from going through this and preparing for the class, I mean, I, I see it now in that Jesus' parable is audacious. It's bold. In the face of the Jewish authorities, of the, the lawyer, he's taken priests and Levites, who are the most religious people, and he's made them look, um, he's made them look bad. Um, he's made them look uncaring. He said, basically, they, they violated the law. He's taken Samaritans, who are the bitterest enemies, and made them do what fulfilled the law. Um, and... So where that leaves, where that leads us to, and where it's designed to leave us, is with the absolute nature of the law, we're left with humility, um, contrition. We can't do it. Um, and the only place, the, the law is designed to put us on our knees where we realize, well, there's nothing we can bring to the table. And at that point, that's where um, Jesus can come in. Um, I, w- I was thinking about this yesterday, but... The, the, the absolute nature of the law is, must be borne out by my son's school's teaching on uh, seatbelts. Because as Beth could say, every, every time like we try to back out of the driveway and we don't have our seatbelt on, or every time we just go to the gas station, and we get a beep, 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 and we were going on a trip, and Beth would get out of the car to help the... Um, to help our six-month-old to feed him or to get something or get out of the seatbelt to um, to do that, and whenever she tried to do that, he'd tell her to put his, her seatbelt back on. So it, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for not having your seatbelt. You're going backward in your driveway. You still got to have your seatbelt on. You're helping the baby. You still got to have your seatbelt on. And it seemed to be a similar analogy to the law. And if when with the law as rigid as that and as far-reaching as that. There's nothing we can do. Um, What I like most about the parable of the Good Samaritan is that it doesn't stop there, though. It's not just a depiction of what it means to love our neighbor. It's also a depiction of the first question that the lawyer asked um, when he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, it's also a a powerful... um, parable of grace and that who is saved, who inherits or could be seen as inheriting eternal life from the parable, or who is, I mean, who's the person who's saved? Um, It's not the priest and the Levite, it's the the dying man among thieves um, who is left half dead on the road. And the Good Samaritan takes him, restores him to health, and basically um, resurrects him. and, and using that and, and, and demonstrating, um, I, I think that shows what, how one is saved and one inherits eternal life. When you're left with nothing to bring to the table, um, 
And when we're on our knees or on the ground, and that's where Jesus can act, and that's where life can begin. Um, and, and so, and Kapan mentions that Jesus is like the dying thief, and that Jesus was shown by the, um, uh, the priests and the Levites and basically left for dead, I mean, killed. Um, and I think there's, I mean, I think that he is, a, there, he is Christ-like in that nature, but in the Good Samaritan is essentially dying for the dying thief who we don't know anything about. I mean, we can't assume good thing that he's done anything good. We just know he's half dead on the, the side of the road. And the Good Samaritan, who is like Jesus, gives his life for him so that one can only think that um, through the care that Jesus, I mean, that, that his, his life is resurrected and um, begins again. And if that, I mean, the person who has been treated, who's been saved like the dying thief, um, that's where kind of the, the actions like the Good Samaritan, that's the only place that the love that flows from Christ's action for us can come. It's not from conforming to the law to be a Good Samaritan. It's when you know we've reached the point that we or that that we can't be like we realize that's nothing we can do, and then um, Christ acts for us and acts as the Good Samaritan um, through His grace. So <clears throat> um. Any thoughts, questions? I guess we're about out of time. But and Gil had told a story last week um, about the he'd had a, I think it was a professor that someone when he was in college had said you have to teach through the I mean you have to, all of Christianity has to be filtered through the lens of the Good Samaritan. Meaning, if it's not, we need to serve other people. Um, then it's not true Christianity. And I. I think you can filter all of, I mean, the, the central message of Christianity through the Good Samaritan, but only in a law gospel context and in a law and grace context, which I think it was intended for. Um, and that, you know, because it, it has both the elements of the law and what it's designed to do, and then also you know, the. Um, the grace that Christ's death provides. And I, I think next week, um, I'm not sure, Michael's teaching, I'm not sure which one he's going to do. But, uh, Michael Sansbury? So I think he's doing the prodigal son, actually. Second video is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why do you think he kept on breaking, I mean, all those other people, like, just, I mean, did he get that from somewhere? Or was that just his own? Like, he's like, and as the story goes, <laughs> he I'm says like, he got what, it from somewhere. What story are you talking yeah. about? He says he got it from somewhere, but I, I've never heard it. And I'm glad I've never heard it. He got like an email for it to him. <laughs> right. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. Well, uh, thanks for coming today, and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.